I hope you have your Bibles this morning. Let me encourage you to find 1 Peter chapter number 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Last week we were talking about salvation and the joys of salvation. And Peter's going to continue this thought process in relationship of how we respond to difficult situations. How we respond to difficulties. And the way we respond to difficulties is so vitally important because the world's watching us. Our children are watching us. People around us are watching us. And they're really curious as to the fact is, you're a born-again child of God. What's so special about you? What's so different about you? Uh, what, what, why should I uh, even listen to, the, to your voice or your language with your testimony if your lifestyle is not in line with what you're saying? If you say that Jesus is the only way, if you say Jesus is the only truth, if you say that he's changed your life, then why do you respond to certain situations and difficulties just like everybody else? Uh, do you not uh, have a God that can help you in those times of needs? And of course, our answer to that is absolutely yes. But we go through difficulties and trials just like everybody. And that's what was going on here in Asia Minor. These believers were going through tragedies. They were going through difficulties. They were going through persecutions. There was a culture and an environment that Peter was writing to that was just uh, filled full of sin. Filled full of things that were not right and that things that were against God. And this being a primarily Gentile congregation... Peter is writing them to encourage them in the fact to stay the course as a born-again child of God. Don't give up on your faith. And so when we approach this text, we see in verse number 13, if we pick up where we left off, we find these words. Wherefore, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your soul journeying here with fear. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. So when Peter uses the term wherefore in verse number 13, he's pointing back to everything that he's already said, beginning in verse number 1 all the way down to verse number 12. And as he's pointing to this, he's pointing to the fact that salvation that has been given to us by God is such a wonderful thing that it has been brought to us. That is, we're not working for salvation. When you got saved, the day you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, your name got written in the Lamb's Book of Life and you are saved. You're a different person. You are saved. God saved you on the day of your salvation. And he's sharing with these individuals here that because they have been saved, because of their salvation, 
They have been chosen by the Father. Remember, we talked about this last week in relationship to Christianity versus all the rest of the religions that exist. In this particular age, you had the Greek uh, religion with the Greek gods, and then you also had Judaism. And so God is speaking to these Gentile Christians and says, you have been chosen. Not those that worship the Greek gods, not those that worship Judaism, but you have been chosen by God. You're born again children of God. You're Christians. You've been chosen by the Father. And then he says this, you've been consecrated by the Spirit. That is, you have been set apart by the Holy Spirit. You've got something those Greek gods cannot do for you. And that is indwell you with the Spirit of God. You, this doesn't even take place in Judaism. There is a monotheistic God in Judaism that you worship. It is Yahweh, El Shaddai. It is the one true God. But this one true God has revealed his promise from Genesis 3.15 that says there is a Messiah coming and he will crush the head of Satan. And he did. And so he's saying here, Peter is saying, because you've been chosen by the Father, because you've been consecrated by the Spirit, because you've been cleansed by the Son, that is the blood of Jesus Christ, you are secure in God, in Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can take you away from God's salvation. And he says, because of this, because of this, you are going to experience some suffering in your life. There's going to be suffering that you're going to experience. You're going to get sick. There's going to be difficulties. Uh, just uh, uh, yesterday, I couldn't make it to, um, I had an uncle that passed away. My uncle Ray Robertson passed away. His funeral was yesterday. Was unable to be there in person, but was able to be there online and, and uh, just uh, celebrating his life. He is a born-again child of God, was a diabetic, had a very difficult season in his life as it was leading to his going home to be with Jesus. It was not a sweet, wonderful, graceful time. It was a difficult hardness on the family. But today, he stands in the presence of God completely healed. And the whole time he was here on this planet, the whole time he was here on this earth, the whole time he was going through that trial in the flesh, that suffering in the flesh, he was looking for that glorious hope that he knew that he was going to be with Jesus one day. He says, this is the kind of security that you have because you're in God, in Jesus Christ. He says, you're going to experience experience suffering. Why are, you, why are you dwelling on this in the introduction? Because I'm telling you folks, the social gospel that's being preached today all over this land is making a product of counterfeit Christianity where people really believe that if you receive Christ, everything is wonderful. Look at the life of Christians in the, especially in the Bible, every time they trusted Christ as Savior, they experienced difficulties and trials and heartaches and hard times. But their hope is not in this world. This is not my best life now. My best life is in heaven when I'm escaped the presence of sin completely and I'm in his great holiness. But the Bible tells me that today, right now today, 
as suffering in this culture, I can live the abundant life. You know what that means? That means I know what side my bread's buttered on. That, that means I know that God's in control of every situation that we find ourselves in. And so he says, you're going to have these sufferings in your life. It's what he's explaining to these Christians. And then he says this. He says, if you have this single focus of faith, that is, if you're suffering and you say your single focus is the faith that you have in God and this hope that we have in Jesus Christ, it will produce praise to Jesus. It will produce honor to Jesus. It will produce glory to Jesus. Therefore, there is a way that we should act and a way that we should respond when we come into the difficulties and trials of this world. So here's the question. How do we respond? How do we respond if these truths be known? And that's the question Peter answers when he says, wherefore. Here is the answer to how you respond to a culture that is anti-God, anti-Christian, that is against uh, the things of the Word of God. How do we respond to this? He says, let me give you three, three things, three ways of how you can respond. Number one, we respond as Christians with hope. We respond with hope. That's what verse 13 is all about. Verse 13 is saying that as a born-again child of God, because I'm saved and because I'm secure and because I'm going to heaven, the difficulties that I face in this life cause me to respond with hope. The command here in this passage of Scripture is to have a determined focus on the hope that will come when Jesus Christ returns. Hope in Scripture is a surety. It's not the same kind of hope we have when we hope gas prices go down. Can I get a witness right there? That's not the kind of hope the Bible speaks of. No, the kind of hope the Bible speaks of is a focused hope on the truth of what God said. And the truth is, Jesus said, I will not leave you helpless. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You have the Holy Spirit as a born-again child of God dwelling inside of you. Therefore, whatever you go through, you have hope because that hope is placed in a living, eternal God that's dwelling inside of you. And then what I love about what he says here about this hope is he tells us in this passage of Scripture the three aspects of our hope. Did you see what he says? So how do I have this hope? How do I do this? How do I have this kind of hope if the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of me? Look at what he says. He says, number one, the first thing is, the, the first aspect of this hope is mental. It's a mental aspect. Notice what he says in the text. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. He says, this is first and foremost what you have to do to live a life of hope. It's a figure of speech streaming from the fact that the men of that day wore these long robes. And the robes that they wore when they needed to to get somewhere in a hurry, they had to gird up their loins. And so what they would do is they would reach down between their legs and they would pull their robes up and they would tuck them inside their belt and they would make some shorts. And then they were able to get wherever that they wanted to go and they could get there quickly. We have a very similar uh, term, figure of speech, 
Today, it would be something like this. Roll up the sleeves of your mind. Now, we all know what rolling up your sleeves mean. That means you're about to get to work. It means you're about to do something uh, strenuous. It means that you're probably going to get hot. It means you just need to get ready to work. In the same way, when you include roll up your sleeves mentally, what that's telling you is get your mind ready because here we go. We're about to encounter something. Uh, not sure what, but it's going to take a little bit of, of activity on our part. And so there's this mental aspect, if you will, in regards to living this life and responding to things that are difficult. The idea here is to be mentally prepared for combat or action. The point is, as we live our lives with the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, that is, if we're going to do battle, the first battlefield is the battlefield of our mind. And so what you think will determine how you're going to live as a Christian. I'm saying the Holy Spirit is, is living inside of you. But if, if you want to walk around as a born-again child of God with your lips stuck out four feet and trip over it every time something happens, and I've, I've met some sourpuss Southern Baptists uh, in their walk with Jesus Christ. I mean, I, it is hard to watch them. I mean, sometimes I'm like, man, I'll pay you to smile. Are you okay? And the bottom line is just simply this. They are looking from a temporary perspective. And they are thinking from a temporary point of view. Brothers and sisters, this world is not our home. We are just passing through this land. And as a born-again child of God, we cannot have stinking thinking. We've got to have true biblical thinking. We've got to clearly understand that if we are going to respond to the culture that's pushing on us in such difficulty about all these different social agendas, agendas and post-Jesus uh, culture, then we have got to understand we are not post-Jesus, we're pro-Jesus. And being pro-Jesus means we're full of the Holy Spirit and we're going to think right when it comes to the difficulties on this level. So deal with everything on a mental level, especially, listen to this, especially when it comes to sin. Hey. So we find here in this passage of scripture, what was going on in this culture? Sin was running rampant. Uh, there were extramarital affairs, there were open marriages, there were uh, uh, sacrifices, if you would, to pagan gods, temple sacrifices and, and explicit sexual activities. And what Peter is saying to them is as a born-again child of God, you may be in that culture, but you're not of that culture. So you need to have the right response when this temptation comes to you. And what he's saying is, you deal with this response, first and foremost, mentally. You see something that you ought not to look at, don't dwell on it. Bounce your eyes, get away from it. Deal with sin on the thought level. Judge wicked thoughts. Judge it the instant you have them. Confess them to God and replace them with thoughts of Him and His Word. If you're envious of someone, judge it, confess it, and ask God to replace it with His love for that person. I'm telling you, the Bible tells us that the battleground for a born-again child of God is the battleground of the mind. And the devil has one bullet in his gun. He's 
the Barney Fife of Scripture. And I hate to put, use Barney in that way because I like Barney, but I don't like the devil. Can I get a witness right there? But the bottom line is he'll lie. That's his only bullet. He'll lie to you. He'll lie. He'll tell you you're no good. He'll tell you God doesn't love you. He'll tell you you're worthless. You got to take that thought captive according to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse number 15 and take it unto the obedience of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means that you were to gird up the loins of your mind. Get mentally ready to respond to the culture that we're engaged in. Number two, he says there's a second aspect. Not only is there a mental aspect, but there's also a physical aspect. You got your pens? Look at what the scripture says. He says, not only gird up the loins of your mind, but he says, number two, be sober. Be sober. This is a very fascinating word. This is a favorite word of Peter. Peter uses this word just in the book of 1 Peter. Uh, he uses it three out of the total of six times that he uses the word over the New Testament. He uses it in 1 Peter chapter 1 in verse number 13 where we see it here. He uses it again in chapter number 4 in verse 7. He says, be sober. And then he uses it again in verse number 5 or chapter 5 in verse number 8. He says again, be sober. Why are you telling us to be sober and what does it mean? Well, it literally means not drunk. That's the literal interpretation of be sober. Do not be drunk. Therefore, if you are not going to be drunk, that means you need to exercise self-control. The greatest self-control that you can exercise in, references, in referencing not being drunk is to exercise Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 7 that says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and he that participates in thereof is not wise. So the greatest self-control that you can exercise in regards to not being drunk is not drinking at all. And so we find here in being this sober-minded, self-controlled individual, he is talking about the clarity that we have in our body. He's already talked about the mental aspect, dealing with sin on a mental net level. Now he's saying, get your body to line up with that. Get your body to line up with being sober, listening to the power of the Holy Spirit of God, walking after the power of the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, listen to what he says here. He says, be sober, that is not drunk, be vigilant, that is to aggressively not be uh, drunk. He says, I mean, this is on the daily. You've got to daily, some even hourly, take every thought captive in relationship to pulling you away from what the Holy Spirit is speaking inside of you and due to truth. He says, do this because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The point is this. You and I, just like these in Asia Minor, in present-day Turkey, we are living in enemy territory. You're living in enemy ter territory. We are living in a world that is of the prince of the power of this air. Now, God is over it, but there is a curse on this earth. There is a curse on this world. 
And part of the curse that come out of the Garden of Eden is this curse that's been placed upon us as we have sinned. And because of our sin, we are going to die. And as we are born again and receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord, and Peter's already dealt with this, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit rests inside of us. We have an opportunity as we live in this earth suit, if you will, to either walk after the Spirit of God or walk after the spirit of this world. The spirit of this world is the spirit of the devil. You look at it. Everything that's written in the Bible as in comparison to what we're being told today on the television, on commercials, on movies. I mean, everywhere you turn, it is completely 100% against the Word of God. It's against it. And so what I'm saying to you today is the culture that we're living in today is no different than the culture that Peter was writing to when he wrote this to this first century church. And because it's no different, the principles are true still even today. In fact, they're so relevant to us today. That as we walk in this world and as we respond to this culture with a position of hope, I'm going to be honest with you. There are times and seasons where I've had Christians even use the term. I just don't think there's any hope. We should scratch that from our vocabulary. The end of the book says we win. And while we might go through a present trial or a present suffering, and it may even get worse, it may get worse as we travel and have this journey together, I'm telling you, in the end, we win. Jesus will bring the victory. It is our responsibility to turn on the light in a dark world. When you look around and you see the darkness that's all around, people are looking for the light. We have the light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you that we can, as born-again children of God, respond to a wicked culture today with a mental aspect of hope and with a physical aspect of hope. And what it's going to entail is taking everything Every thought captive mentally, that is girding up our loins of our mind, getting ready for battle. And number two, he is also saying that we have got to, uh, we've got to be sober. We've got to exercise self-control. Someone might say, I'm going to be honest with you, preacher. You're taking such a strong, hard position on alcohol. That sounds really legalistic to me. Could I just respond in this way? It's not legalistic. It's biblical logic. As a born-again child of God, I'm only asking you to search your heart, brother and sister. Search your heart. And, And while the fact of the matter is, alcohol in itself will not send you to hell, but sin will send you to hell. And the results of that can destroy not only your life, but your family. This is why Peter is saying, in the culture that you're living in, where it's rampant everywhere you turn, to gird up the loins of your mind and be thinking right so that you can respond right 
and be sober, not drunk. Have the physical aspect. And then number three, watch this. Here's a third one. There's a physical aspect, there's a mental aspect, and then there's a spiritual aspect. Look at verse number 13 again. He says, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought into you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, Here we have in this uh, passage of Scripture a link to the spiritual aspect of the hope that we have. That hope that we have as a born-again child of God is anchored in the truth of the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. And it is through that Messiahship that He has given us His grace. And He tells us here in the text, He says, that we are to hope to the end. What is the end? The end of your life. You are to have this strong hope inside of you that everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be better than okay. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be excellent. It's going to be glorious. It is going to be full of glory because of the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is to simply say that you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. And as you've received Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, you are saved and secure. He's already talked about that in the first 13 verses. He then comes back and says, but watch this. It's not the end. Just getting saved is not the end. That's right. When you get saved, there's a responsibility that we have. As born again children of God. And the first responsibility he's talking about here is in the essence of thinking right, acting right, and listening to the right voice that's inside of you. And that's the voice of the Holy Spirit of God. He said, because one day you're going to come to the end of your life and what you experienced at your salvation date will open up and you will see the full revelation of that truth of the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying there in the text. Look again, he says this. He says that this grace is going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says the first response that we have as born-again children of God to a culture that is completely against us, he says you first respond with hope. It will entail your mind, it will entail your actions, your physical, and it'll entail your spiritual. And then he closes with this because it's all the time that I have. He says, let me give you a second point. He says, then number two, then we respond with holiness. It's just a natural flowing. It's a natural attribute that comes with thinking right, acting right, and listening to the right voice inside of you. He says, this will, this will produce this beautiful illustration of holiness. Notice what the scripture says in verse 14 and 15 and 16. He says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Holy. He's simply saying we're going to respond as born-again children of God with holiness. Now watch this. I love this. 
It's important for us to understand this issue of holiness. What's he talking about here? What is holiness? Holiness means to be separated unto God's usage. We're separated unto God. Uh, we also use a synonym. Uh, sometimes it's linked together, linked together with holiness, and it's called sanctification. In regards to this holiness, this being set apart by God, this being sanctified by God, it too, just as in the area of your salvation, has these wonderful uh, aspects to it. There is this, uh, if you would, this, this sense or this sense that you are positionally holy. When you received Jesus Christ as your Savior. When you got saved, God made you holy right there at that moment in time. But then there's also this progressive sanctification that happens as you grow in Jesus Christ. For example, what, what would that might look like? It might look like something like this. Maybe you got saved and you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. And maybe you have the vice of dipping. There's a great one right there. I'm not against all you dippers out there. I'm just using it as an illustration, okay? I, I, I tried to dip once when I was a kid, but threw up all over the place. Never tried it again. Uh, and then I got a spanking for it because it was all in my teeth. I should have, a lot I should have done there, but didn't do it. The, the bottom line is this. Let's say you get saved and you carry that vice of dipping with you. And you, you, you're under conviction about it. Okay, hear me out. You're under conviction about it. You're like, man, I, I know I need to quit. I, I want to quit. I, I'm addicted to this. And I, 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 just, I have the desire to stop, uh, but, 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 I, but I just, I'm struggling with it. And then all of a sudden, something happens in your life. Something happens that totally changes your perspective. It is a complete paradigm shift from where you used to be. Uh, let, let me give you another illustration on this particular topic. The man that raised me, Robbie Robertson. I, I can remember that uh, growing up, he, he would drink. He'd drink beer. And I can remember being outside in the front lawn. And I can remember us having a good time, running around. I'm hot and sweaty. Dad's on the swing drinking a beer. And I was thirsty. Now, most of the time, you know, when you're thirsty... Moms and dads said, go drink out of the hose pipe. How many of you used to drink out of the hose pipe? All the old people. All right. Man, that was some times we lived and we were okay. Uh, well, I got a bunch of stuff running through my head right now, but I'm trying to give you an illustration. God help me. I remember going up to my dad as he's swinging in that chair and his beer was sitting on the ground. And I walked up and I took it and I put it up to my lips and he grabbed it. And he said, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. I said, Dad, I'm, I'm thirsty. He said, no, no, this ain't good for you. This ain't good for you. And I said, but you drink it. And Dad got real honest with himself right there, David. I mean, real honest. He just told me it wasn't good for me. I said, you're drinking it. And it's not good for you either, Dad. Not good for you. I didn't know any different. I'm just a little guy. I don't know any. I, 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 I haven't. I'm at, not at the age of accountability yet. It doesn't make any sense to me. And Dad looked at me and he looked at that. And I can remember him standing up and him walking in the house. And I followed him. And he cracked open every beer. And he poured them down the, down the sink. And he never drank again. Never. What happened? He had a paradigm shift. I mean, it finally hit him. 
It's a lot like that verse in Scripture where the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, if meat makes my brother stumble, then I'm not going to eat meat. That's right. Dad had liberty there, but he realized that he'd become a stumbling block to his son. And in order for his son, and, and here's the lesson, because here's what we do as parents. Do as I say do, don't do as I do. <laughs> and that's not the way children operate. Children operate from the perspective as children learn what they live. That's right. And so I was living in that, and my natural response is, this is okay, just pick it up and go with it. I can remember after that, this is several years later, I go to spend the night at a friend's house. Several years later, several years. I'm probably at this stage, maybe I'm 10, 11 years of age. My friend's dad is sitting on the couch, and he's got a beer there. There's about 12 of us boys there. And as those 12 boys would go over to his dad, his dad fell asleep on the couch. Beer was full. And each one, those 12, those boys, one by one, were taking it and drinking it. And they gave it to me. And Jason, when they gave it to me, it's a true story. I looked at it, and I remember what my dad did that day. It was in my mind, in my heart. And I sat it down. And I never put it to my lips the only kid I was the only kid there did, and I wasn't saved wasn't saved did they make fun of me yeah. yep <laughs> they did was I fuddy duddy yeah did I kill the vibe probably but you know why I didn't do it I didn't want to make I didn't want to disappoint my dad because my dad said it was bad for me and it was so bad for me that dad went and he poured it out in the sink and never drank again. So you see in this text, he tells us here, as obedient children, you have this paradigm shift. Not fastening yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Dad did it in his ignorance. But as he which hath called you, did you see that there? Is holy. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. The word conversation means every area of your life. Live a life of holiness. Live a life that you are separated from God. So there's this positional holiness, this progressive holiness. My dad realized in regards to his holiness that he, there were some things in his life that changed him. And then there's this perfect holiness when you stand before God and you're not in the presence of sin anymore. And so there's this regenerated aspect of holiness that as an obedient child... I do not fashion myself according to the former lust in ignorance. What's he talking about there? The word fashion there is used only one time in the New Testament. It's it's Romans chapter 12 verse 2 where it says, Do not be conformed to this world. That is, fashion. Don't be fashioned after this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's that concept again that it begins here in the mind. If you're going to be holy, if you're a born again child of God and you're going to live a life of holiness, then you've got to do battle in the mind. And it will affect your physical aspect because you're listening to the spiritual aspect of holiness. And then he goes on to say, and I've got to wrap up, I'm out of time. I love this part, but I've got to point it out just so I can set it up for next week. But as he, that's God, as God 
which hath called you children of God. Remember, he's speaking to the Christians here. He's Christian Gentiles. You, Christian Gentiles, God called you holy. So be ye holy in every situation that you find yourself in. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. We, as born-again children of God, can live holy lives. We must look at it through the lens of a paradigm shift, though. That is, you are no longer, no longer a sinner. If you are born again, if you have received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, you are no longer a sinner. You are now a saint that has to deal with sin that can affect you. And how you respond to the challenges of this world, whether it be temptation, whether it be suffering, whether it be persecution, it doesn't matter. We're going to experience that. Uh, a lot of time here in the West, we haven't experienced persecution, uh, especially up in Northeast Georgia. Uh, we, we just, we don't experience that. I mean, look, we, we may have somebody slam the door in our face on a visit or something like that. That rarely even happens in Northeast Georgia. But in other parts of the world, people are dying dying for their faith. And that's what Peter is in, encouraging. He's saying, do not recant. Do not, as a Christian, turn your back on the truth of God's Word. Instead, you live a holy life. And you do it in such a way that in every situation you reflect hope. And that hope comes from I'm settled in my mind, I got a new hope. I'm settled in my heart, I got a new hope. And I'm settled with the way that I live, that I got a new hope. He says, you do that, and that byproduct will be a holy life because God called you holy, therefore you live holy. Let's bow for prayer. With our heads bowed, maybe you're here today, and maybe you've never, ever received Christ as Savior. I want to give you that opportunity today. I want to give you an opportunity to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. That is to say, to change your mind and your heart and to put your trust fully in Jesus Christ. And as you trust Jesus Christ, you become a new creature. If you're here today and maybe you've never prayed to receive Christ, I want to give you that opportunity today. Could I ask it in the form of a question, maybe this way? If you were to die today, sir, if you were to die today, ma'am, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? I'm telling you today, God has made a way for you to go to heaven. And there's only one way, and it's a narrow way. You have to come to Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do I do that? The Bible says you do that by confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. That is that Jesus is the Messiah. That is Jesus died on the cross for your sins. If you would like to receive Jesus today, if you would like to pray, and be a Christian like these 
Christians were in 1 Peter. Would you say something like this to the Lord? From your heart to God's, would you say something like this? You don't have to say it out loud. But in your heart, would you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. This morning, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I trust you as my Savior. I repent of my sins this morning. And by faith, receive Jesus. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name.